Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. The devil made me do it is surely on the short list of least convincing excuses to a modern Episcopalian. First of all, especially if we're upstanding American types, we value personal responsibility and individual freedom, both of which seem to be suspended if a devil is to blame for some bad thing I couldn't help but do. Secondly, we really don't have much use for devils in general, do we? Maybe we've found ways to rehabilitate the concept of God, whom we once may have thought of as a stern, gray-bearded guy on a throne in the clouds. Some of us might even believe in angelic forces of, of a sort. But few of us have bothered to update the image of that pitchfork-wielding demon in a red suit and horns. As a result, we may have skipped over the sentence in tonight's gospel lesson about the devil, already having put it into the heart of Judas, son of Iscariot, to betray him. Surely it's just so much pre-modern nonsense. But is it? Is it only nonsense? Or could it actually play a useful part in the story? Maybe even in ours. Most religious traditions have ways of talking about how humans are not free, or at least not as free as we think we are. Fate, or kismet, or predestination are all ways of saying that we are bit players in a drama we didn't write the script for. Versions of these concepts are also alive and well among people with no use for God or religion. It turns out that free will is even harder for a modern physicist or philosopher to account for than it was for St. Augustine or John Calvin. Many of them would say, for instance, that your decision last Friday to order chicken hash and a waffle instead of fish pudding may have felt like a free choice, but it was really just one tiny recent event in a cosmic chain reaction that stretches all the way back to the Big Bang. Which does, I suppose, make some sense with regard to fish pudding. Isn't it easier to imagine it evolving over time like some deep, exotic sea creature than being the result of a free and rational human turning to her sous chef one Thursday saying, hey, what if we made a pudding but made it out of fish this time? I promise that's the last fish pudding joke of 2023. But most of us come down somewhere in the middle with regard to free will, right? There's a whole lot in this life that we do not get to choose, but there's a small but meaningful sliver of life in which we do seem free to make choices. Problems may arise when we get confused about which actions arise from the fact that we're free and which ones arise from the fact that we're not. I've actually come to read that line about a devil putting betrayal into the heart of Judas as a small kindness on the part of the writer of John. That's a strange thing to say, I know. John's the gospeler who interrupts his own story over and over again when Judas enters the scene to remind us that this guy is a very bad egg. Saying a devil entered his heart initially just sounds like another explanation of Judas's badness. But maybe it's a way of telling us that the sources of Judas's betrayal are a mystery to us. Judas didn't decide to betray his friend. Something entered him that was foreign to him, 
This treachery was not a choice, or at least it wasn't only a choice. This matters when evil happens, because when evil happens, I want to understand it so I can contain it. And when evil happens, I also want to balance things back out. I want the moral score to be settled, if not in terms of pain and suffering on the part of the perpetrator, at least in terms of guilt and shame at his failure. I want someone to blame and hold responsible, don't you? It can feel like our moral obligation to the universe at times. But that's not what happens in this story, is it? It's not what happens at all. The word mandi is related to mandate and commandment, and, and Jesus did command something of his disciples at the Last Supper as if they had some choices to make in this life, even in the face of evil that we don't understand. But the commandment was not, Judas's must be punished. It wasn't even, don't be a Judas yourself. Nor did he say, don't trust anyone. Your betrayer could be sitting right beside you at dinner with your closest friends. Any of those commandments would have made a kind of sense. But the new commandment Jesus gives is to love. Just as I've loved you, you should also love one another, he says. Fine, Jesus, we might say, but this betrayal which, by the way, will become the archetypal sin by which all other sins are measured for the next 2,000 years, maybe more. Surely this is a situation that requires what we like to call tough love. Judas needs to be taught a lesson to which Jesus says, call it what you want, but here's what the love I'm talking about looks like. And he took a tied a towel around his waist and poured water into a basin and began to wash the feet of his friends. He said he wanted us to love each other in ways that are visible, like this ordinary, vulnerable, humble act of service. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you have this kind of love for one another. Some devil put betrayal into Judas's heart. In response, Jesus commands us to choose love. So here's a question the story still seems to press upon us. What if we were humbler about what we know about the sources of evil and clearer about the commandment to love? What would change? I've learned so much from the people who come to Calvary early on a Sunday morning to give and receive food and clothing and friendship and dignity and lots more besides. I'm not sure I've ever witnessed a more beautiful Monday Thursday scene than when med school students come to tend the beat up and misshapen feet of people who sleep outside and walk wherever they go. But on rare occasions, we have to draw hard additional boundaries to keep people safe down there. If someone acts out in a way that could be dangerous to others, at some point we won't just ask them to stop. We tell them they're not allowed to be here until we know they'll behave differently. But it's only by the, by the light of this Last Supper gospel that I see now that no one's, no one's ever punished in this process. Since there's nearly always conspicuous trauma or emotional instability in play, punishment doesn't really even compute. There are no moral debts to be repaid when actions arise from possession by forces we really don't understand. 
The question becomes simply whether allowing this person to be here today makes it unsafe for that person to be here. Which is actually simply a question of what love can allow, isn't it? Maybe what protection love is being called to afford? Perhaps a challenge at the heart of Monday Thursday's story to all of us is whether we might be humbler about the sources of evil and clearer about the commandment to love in all of our relationships and dealings in this world. Over these next three days, as we enter the depths of Christ's passion together, only one person will be punished in this story. Jesus will be punished by the Roman Empire, which believed itself to be the keeper of the known world's moral order. Friends, empires are never never humble about the sources of evil. They know the sins of their enemies and precisely who must pray precisely what price. Tonight, you and I are being called to another way by this punished one himself. We're being called to his strange way of love. Visible love that doesn't keep score. Love that wonders what it looks like in this moment to serve. Whether it's towards someone who epitomizes all betrayers and everything that's wrong with the whole world to us, or the ordinary enemies in our day-to-day lives, the ones who set the little wind-up toys of scorn and vengeance inside us to hopping, our call might be to meet all of these with a little less blame and judgment and thirst for punishment and with a little more curiosity and compassion and maybe even wonder at what devil must have entered them to make them so. It may even be that if we lose a little confidence in their freedom to be someone other than who they are, something inside us may wriggle free enough to choose to love. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates, or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.